A majority of our decisions are heavily influenced by unconscious bias, which creates detrimental effects in the healthcare industry and beyond. To better understand how to confront and eliminate unconscious bias, I asked a national expert and passionate leader to help guide us through these timely and important topics. Dr. Ari Nettles is the Director of the Office of Inclusion and Health Equity at Vanderbilt University Medical Center, which encompasses education and training on cultural awareness, unconscious bias, and offers the Respect at Work series with a focus on sexual harassment, bystander intervention, and workplace safety. Join me in this episode to learn more about the curriculum that Dr. Nettles and her team created and how it can help generate better workplace culture for health practitioners and better health outcomes for the patients this industry honorably serves. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Hi, Dr. Nettles. A very warm welcome to our podcast. It is indeed a pleasure. Thank you so much and good morning to you. Well, after receiving a very passionate note from Dan Kendall, the founder of the Health Podcast Network, that you would be a perfect guest for our podcast, I knew we had to have you on. So before we dive into your journey of establishing the Office of Inclusion and Health Equity at Vanderbilt University Medical Center, a bit of housekeeping. While listening to any of our episodes, please make sure to join our free online community at passionatepioneers.com in order to share feedback and ideas and interact with the global ecosystem. And lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, Dr. Nettles, it's almost time to learn more about the booster shot you administer to groups before big hiring decisions, and so much more. But first, I'm going to randomly select a question to an icebreaker so we can get to know you a little bit more personally. Let's see what comes up here. Mm -hmm. Ooh, now I'm Italian, so I'm all about food. Love a good meal. What's your favorite meal, Dr. Nettles? You know, my favorite meal is actually Thanksgiving because truly there's a cornucopia of food and family. And I think that that's the time. In fact, with my family, this is a big production. Everybody's in the kitchen. Everybody's fixing something. Everybody's enjoying something. Everybody's happy. And so that's the meal. I see it as one thing. Now, you know, we have everything from turkey, vegetables, ham, and there are a lot of stories about everything we eat. So it's just a lot of fun. And, you know, it's one of those things where I love to cook. I love trying out new things. And I love the ingredient of love that I put in there. And so that makes everything so special. That's my secret ingredient. I just shared it. So, you know, now everybody knows. There it is. Sprinkling love on all the food. That always makes it a home run. I'm a big fan of Thanksgiving (laughs) myself. Actually, that's my favorite holiday. There is nothing better than, you know, being with family and friends, cooking a huge meal. Quick side story, about oh, a number of years ago now, it was a long while ago, 
we deep fried a turkey. Now, warning, and make sure you take these tips. <laughs> Keep the deep fryer away from the house. We darn near lit the grass on fire. It's a dangerous affair, but man, did it turn out good. Well, I know that that is an excellent piece of meat by doing that. But, you know, I kind of like the simplistic way of doing things. And that takes too many steps and too much supervision. <laughs> so I have a recipe and I love the networks, the food shows and so forth. But there's a recipe where once you put it in, you don't do anything and it just falls off the bone. And so that kind of thing makes me very, very happy. So, <laughs> Well, and then, you know, when you sprinkle the magic ingredient, a little love over it, of course, it's going to turn out amazing. Absolutely. Oh. You know, you had a funny story, but one thing I did notice that prior to, um, I'm a cancer survivor. And so prior to going through treatment and chemotherapy, I couldn't tolerate red wine. But after my treatment, I enjoy red wine, so I'm really excited about that. So I treat myself to a glass of red wine every now and then. So that's really fun. But coffee is indeed my choice. Well, good for you. (laughs) To to my meals. (laughs) Well, and I'm sure you're getting up early to cook those Thanksgiving meals, so you're going to have to have some coffee to start the day. (laughs) Oh, I start days. I start weeks. So, you know, this is a production. Good. It really is a production. Well, I love it. Well, Thanksgiving meal it is, sprinkled with love across the entire dining table. I love it. Well, Dr. Nettles, we have so much to cover today, so much important work coming out of your camp, the work happening, the mission over at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville. But it goes back a bit, and I want you to be able to share the story with our community. You know, it's now been almost a decade where you established the Office of Inclusion and Health Equity at VUMC. Can you take us back on that journey, how it even got going? You were doing this work even before it was cool or even before we had terms around it, right? So if you could, oh, t- yes. you know, if you can take us back on that journey a bit, share with us how this came to be, and then we'll get into kind of current state. What are you and the team working on right now, how it's being impactful, and then we'll also look future state as well. But let's go ahead and rewind that clock. Take us how this even got established in the first place. Well, I'm going to take you way back to when I was a little girl and my mother bought me this black doll. Now I'm about four years old and the doll and I are about the same height, but she was very determined that I have a doll that looks like me because there were no dolls that were available. And so it's just like yesterday, you know, when I got this doll, I was just so excited, loved her so much. And, you know, my mother said to me, you know, this is how I love you. This is what I feel. And, you know, you're smart. I mean, my mother was my cheerleader for sure. But she also said, you know, there will be people who do not see you the same way that I see you. And so I know that she was primarily talking about race. But indeed, you know, fast forward a few years, I was bust my sophomore year in high school, having grown up in a segregated world, you know, black church, black neighborhood, black schools, whatever. And I was bused to the predominantly white school. And that was at that point where my skills and abilities were questioned. Up until then, my skills and abilities had been embraced and doted upon and lots of um, good stuff that, you know, that comes with that, you know, accolades and so forth. And I've always been a very, very good student, but, you know, I've been taught that 
So if you do your best, it will be recognized and you will move forward. So this, I worked my way up to number nine in a class of 400. And so one day I had an opportunity to apply for a scholarship by writing an essay. And so I submitted the essay and the essay letter came back saying, yes, you have been awarded this scholarship for the essay, but we need a picture. We need a picture of you. So I sent it to the picture. And about two days later, I get a letter saying scholarship rescinded. So it was very clear to me what my mother had been telling me all along and been preparing me for that even though my essay won, my picture obviously lost. Well, you know, there's so many stories in, in between, but what really resonated to kind of the jumping off point that really got me to where I am here with the work that I'm doing, my husband and I are both academicians. And so we had taken faculty positions at a major university a couple of decades back or more. And we just had two of our daughters at the time. We were a young family and, and so forth. And I thought, well, this is great, you know, with this opportunity and so forth. And we've always loved the adventure. And, but with that, you know, there were no family and friends. I mean, totally new kind of an adventurous pioneer effort. And so our daughters were one in four. And so shortly after getting to this new place, my husband had to leave to go on one of his research trips that took him out of the country. And so I'm still trying to figure out how to get to the grocery store as well as to my office in the university and get the children to daycare and so forth. Well, I noticed that my youngest child was not feeling well. And so the only thing I knew was to go to the emergency department at this major university because they had a university hospital. And I said, this is the best place to go. So I show up with my two kids because I don't have anyone else for my older child. So we're sitting in the waiting room and then finally we get back. So then the chief resident came in and no eye contact, you know, why are you here? And I'm thinking, whoa, you know, that's a little bit. And then I begin to say what I'm here for. And then she looked and said, you know, my other child couldn't be here. And I'm thinking, well, how in the world am I going to do this? I mean, I have no choice. So then who is your pediatrician? And I said, well, I don't have one. And then things changed. You know, I got the lecture. You realize you don't use the emergency department for a clinic. You realize that good mothers have pediatricians. And it went on and on. So my respect factor was going down. My trust factor was going down. My anger factor was really kind of heating up there, but I knew I had to remain calm because I needed help for my child. And I was in a place that could help me. So I thought, well, let me let her finish. And then I asked her, I said, may I ask you a question? And she looked rather, you know, confused or perplexed or like, why would I even ask a question? And so I said, you know, I'm just curious why you didn't ask me why I didn't have a pediatrician. Because had you done so, I would have told you I've only been here less than three weeks. All of my daughter's information are in boxes. I haven't had time to vet a pediatrician, you know, and so forth. So anyway, we get all this resolved and fast forward. I decided that it was important for me 
as a faculty and as a mom who wants help for, you know, her sick child to be able to navigate through a system where that can happen. So I decided to visit senior leadership at this brand new uh, university. Kind of a little gutsy move on a junior faculty, but, you know, that's what I did. Shared my story and the vision of the senior leadership said, you know, I need for you to help. Well, we have adult children now. So fast forward, that was kind of the first, and I really am very grateful for the behavior of that resident because it gave me an insight in terms of what do we need to do? What can I do in order to change a system that will be one that has been committed to equity in healthcare? So now we're going to fast forward really several years to my institution now. And about 10 years ago, senior leadership at the Monroe Carroll Jr. Children's Hospital and the Department of Pediatrics said, you know what? Our patients and families are very different now. We have to embrace their differences, their what they bring to the table, you know, different cultures, languages, and so forth. Also, our faculty and staff, we are different. We need to make sure that we are welcoming, that we are culturally aware, culturally sensitive. And so figure out how to go about making that happen. (laughs) So, you know, I had an opportunity to attend the Disparities Leadership Program that is out of uh, Mass General Hospital, Harvard University where we actually developed the model for the Office of Inclusion and Health Equity. This is the year-long executive leadership training program. And a lot of on-the-ground work with visiting, you know, 16 entities across our campus, the medical center, to identify what our needs are. What is this sense of urgency that we knew about? But how can we go about it? in order to make some changes? And how can we get the buy-in to do this? And so, for example, one big thing that came out of it was the name itself, Office of Inclusion and Health Equity, meaning that inclusion means that everybody's included, no one's excluded, but everybody has a responsibility for health equity. And so the name itself sets up this mission that we have. So. The office was established with four just, I find, very simple initiatives that reaches across groups and across our enterprise. One is education and training. And education and training that is evidence-based, education and training that, you know, will certainly have an impact on changes in behavior. So education and training. The second one is through education and training, we would be able to elevate patient satisfaction and improve patient communication. Third is to develop a strategic plan or sustainability where this becomes part of the fabric of who we are and what we're about in terms of patient care to be able to be better communicators and to be able to be thoughtful in cultural awareness and cultural sensitivity and the like. And then fourth, to be able to replicate this throughout our enterprise and throughout other places and so forth. And I will say 
that the Office of Inclusion and Health Equity has been replicated at Boston Children's as well as Alfred Nemours uh, Hospital in Delaware. So I'm really excited about that. And then we also, from that, we've been able to form what is called the Pediatric Health Equity Collaborative, which is about 10 children's hospitals in the U.S. and Canada in partnership with the Disparities uh, Leadership Program. So a lot of things have grown from it. But the point that the medical center made a commitment that this is how we want to be perceived and understood and practiced, that we are welcoming and that we are learning that this is a partnership, but this is part of the fabric of who we are and what we are about. So we've been able to establish over time and it's been quite a journey because I still have a clinical home with a clinical practice in developmental medicine and cleft craniofacial where I'm the psychologist for that. But we've developed quite a curriculum. We're face-to-face curriculum for like a two-hour unconscious bias training program. I am a Cook Ross certified facilitator, which is basically what we're using the Cook Ross model with that. You know, they are hiring practices curriculum. We have online programs. We have just, we've developed quite an extensive respect at work where we're now, you know, looking at eliminating sexual harassment and just different educational practices that are going to enhance everyone. Well, and that's the bottom line. Excuse me. Oh, please go ahead. Cause I was going to ask oh. some questions on that. I want to stay there for oh, just a moment, oh, oh. but my apologies, carry on. Oh, no, no, no. Go ahead. Cause I, you know, I'll go on a tangent. I forgot that you have to ask me questions. Oh, no worries. I, hey, you're passionate about it. This is what I love. This is why you're here, right? This is what we need more leaders like you out there and have this, these stories shared. So thank you for that, Dr. Nettles. But you know, one area I want to focus on is current state. 2020 has been a year that none of us will ever, ever forget or maybe have ever experienced in our lifetimes. You mentioned all of the breadth and depth of the curriculum that all of you have created and are you know, <laughs> deploying out with across the country and across the world. Is that curriculum being adjusted? Is it more needed than ever? What does this curriculum look like when you start putting it in the face of a pandemic? When you know, we noticed that a pandemic has laid bare the massive disparities that our healthcare system has in this country and beyond. And then, of course, social injustice. We had all of the social unrest and unease over the summer. How does all of that play into this very uh, just unbelievable and unprecedented year that was 2020 versus what you have all created with the Office of Inclusion and Health Equity? That's an excellent question. You know, I applaud the senior leaders for having that decade ago vision because we were prepared, I guess, you know, how their preparedness and emergency preparedness, but we were prepared. And this was slowly because believe me, I would have wanted things to move so much quicker, but we were at a stage where this was the right time, the right thing we had in place, what was needed for everyone. So we're really in a good space and and it's a safe space, but also it's a space of credibility because much thought had been given to it. We're at a space where people are ready to hear and really take it in and be ready for this change. I find in my personal opinion, 2020 is like the key that unlatched Pandora's box. 
you know, we know that in the Greek myth, you know, Pandora opens this box and all the ills of humanity flies out. But there was one thing that Pandora was able to capture that we don't hear very much about in the story, and that was hope. And to capture that hope, which allows us the opportunity to, to heal and to repair and to change. Well, and so that's where we were at this point. So not only do we have the pandemic of COVID-19, but we've had a silent pandemic of 400 years, which has been the racism and injustices all along. So this was just, everything exploded, but now it's an opportunity to really put it together where people can see that it's okay to work on it now. It's okay to talk about it and it's okay to address it. And people want to. And you're spot on. We're definitely seeing more of the attention on this and it is needed now more than ever. But to your point, it opened up this Pandora's box. It gave us the opportunity to start exploring this. And so you really teed me up for my next question. Given that 2020 really opened up that box for you and your work and your colleagues' work, what does the future look like for the next three, six, nine, 12, you know, 18 months? Typically I'd ask, what's it look like for three to five years, but we don't even know what next week looks like because life's changing so fast. What does this kind of future state look like now, given this unprecedented time that we're in? Well, one thing that I have been challenging our enterprise, and we've had to figure out how to do things differently, you know, where we've been used to doing face-to-face and whatever, you know, now we have virtual platforms and so forth. But one is to determine in your department or unit or division, what is your culture? And that everybody should be able to say, what is the culture? And it could be something is that we know everybody's name. We know our colleagues' names. We introduce ourselves to our patients. We make sure that our patients and families know our names and we know theirs. We pronounce them correctly. I mean, it could be something as simple as that. But think about how do you see yourself as a division? Then how can we maintain the conversation? My office can provide the education and training. There'll be something that's always available that can be worked on and we take it to the next step. The medical center has made a commitment in their four strategic directions, which is to make diversity inclusion intentional. And so we have systemic buy-in, those kinds of things. So it's a matter of keeping that conversation going. But more importantly, how can we keep that conversation going in a safe place? How can we keep that conversation going with respect and trust? And we all know if there's no respect and trust, things are not going to happen. Patients are going to pick up on it. You know, there's something, Amy Cuddy's work, you know, out of Harvard said, when you first meet people, you know, that you don't know, you size them up, how warm they are and how competent they are. And I think that that is extremely relevant, you know, in the work that we have to do in our medical system. And so those two things translate into respect and trust. So those are the basic things to maintain the conversation. Has it been a long time to get here? Yes, that's symbolic of how long it takes. But now that we are ready to take it in, we can move even a little quicker and also embrace those new ideas and new thoughts because this is an opportunity to even add on to that. So it's not an add-on in the sense that there's something else to do. It is clearly added value, which has always been 
what the Office of Inclusion and Health Equity has always suggested. This is added value. And from a financial standpoint of view, but also from this is the place you want to come to work every day because you know that you're doing what your commitment has been, which is to provide equity and health care to those who need to get well and, and to heal. Yeah. And to mention about maintaining that conversation, that is one of the biggest needs right now is to continue to keep the momentum going forward. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you where our community can connect with you in order to do exactly that, to maintain this very important conversation and even more importantly, to get involved. But before we go there, Dr. Nettles, what is one problem, need, or question that you and your colleagues have that our community can contemplate and help you with? Well, I'd just be interested to know how the community addresses it systemically. How do you introduce it? How do you maintain it? And just basically what kinds of things are being done in other places? I have a pretty good sense of what's being done. And I'm very, very excited about how we are taking our approach to focus on the individual, because really that's the common denominator. And also those intricacies of how we can address, you know, bias and the cultural awareness and so But what's going on in other places and how can maybe we collectively move forward together, given that we're in a different space, different time, and have different opportunities for appreciation and a commitment to work. I love it. And this is what, as an aside, Dr. Nettles, this is why I love spending time with my friends in the academic arena, because you are always so open-minded to other ways and other techniques or other lessons that others have. So thank you for continuing to reaffirm that for me. I just love spending time with my academic partners. You guys, (laughs) you continue to push us, continue to think in different and unique ways. And I know that our community has some of those different and unique ways that maybe you guys haven't thought of or haven't been working on yourselves. So to our community, head over to passionatepioneers.com, our free global online community. There'll be an entire article for Dr. Nettle's episode where you can give her some feedback and some insights on maybe what you are doing, what is working, what's not working, and how we can continue to work together. Additionally, we'll have Dr. Nettle's contact information in the episode notes of your favorite podcast player. Just simply scroll down And you'll be able to connect with Dr. Nettles there as well. And speaking of connecting with you, Dr. Nettles, where are some points online that we can find you? Social media handles, websites, all of that good stuff. Where can we find you? Well, my daughters will just freak out because what I'm going to say is that I rarely use social media, but I am changing. And so even for using the different virtual platforms. I've been teaching myself since early March. So I'm getting on board, but that's a possibility that I will have that up shortly. However, the Vanderbilt Health DNA podcast, you can follow that at VUMC underscore insights on Twitter. The email address that you can contact me would be diversity.inclusion at VUMC.org. And then also the Office of Inclusion and Health Equity website on the Vanderbilt University Medical Center site can be found there. Excellent. And one more plug for your podcast. We are both esteemed members of the Health Podcast Network. So from one member to another, kudos there. You guys are doing phenomenal work with your podcast. To our community, you you can head over to healthpodcastnetwork.com. 
to find Dr. Nettle's podcast, ours, as well as many other incredible and thought-provoking podcasts around health, healthcare, and innovation. So thank you for that, Dr. Nettles. Now we're going to start closing it out. One of my favorite segments of fill in the blank. Go ahead and fill this in for us. It's I'm a passionate pioneer because. I am a passionate pioneer because I appeal to the best in others. And I follow that myself with something that I grew up saying every day of elementary, good, better, best, never let it rest until good is better than your better is best. Oh my gosh. You just, you gave me goosebumps. That was so cool. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for tying it all together where we started on this podcast with you being a little girl and finishing it with what you continue to tell yourself throughout your life. So beautiful. Well, Dr. Nettles, thank you. thank you so much for being with us today, for sharing your truth and your passion and your mission with all the wonderful work that you are helping lead, especially now during these trying times for so many of us. We look forward to continuing to share in your journey and look forward to being and working alongside you. But for now, thank you for being with us this morning. It was indeed a pleasure and thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.